Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Welcome to Vision Sunday. Generally, I know what Vision Sunday is going to be about in about September the year before. But last year was a very different year. And as I looked through last year, I actually spent a lot of time saying, what's happening to the church? Not necessarily this church, but the church. What is happening to the church? Because firstly, we all had to go online, as you all know. And what happens when everything changes, when we break our systems and the things that we're used to doing, is that you kind of scrape back the surface and you start to see what's underneath. And you could see what's underneath in a way by what people were doing or saying, but I've been asking God, but what's underneath that's underneath? What's underneath what we actually see? And there's a couple of things I believe God is saying, and uh, there's probably more than the two things I, I want to share with us this morning, but these are two things I think God wants to restore to each one of us. I feel like this is the moment for the church in the world when the world is in such a state for us to rediscover who we really are, who we're meant to be, and to go into the world and do that. And so two things that I feel that God wants to restore to us. The first one is a sense of wonder. It says in Revelation 2, God says to the church at Ephesus, I want you to return to your your first love. You can spend a lot of time thinking about that, what that actually means to return to your first love, and I encourage you to go and do that. But this sense of wonder, on Friday night, we went to a show of illusionists, like pretty amazing Jono type thing. And they were amazing, actually. They did all these amazing tricks. And we went out to celebrate one of our kids who got into his master's course. And I thought, let's just go and do something fun. So I found this show and we had, we had a lot of fun. And um, they do these extraordinary tricks. So, for instance, one guy comes out and he's got this paper bag, tips it up and it's presumably empty. Then he pulls a drink out of it, glass, full of some sort of liquid, and then eventually six glasses out. And we're thinking, how on earth is he doing that? And then the last glass that comes out is empty, so he takes off his shoe and he pours something into that glass and drinks it. don't know what it was that came out of his shoe, but anyway. <laughs> and we sit there thinking, that's absolutely amazing. And then there's this guy who comes out with a Rubik's Cube and he can do it in 20 seconds. And then after he's done it once in 20 seconds with both hands, he does it with one hand in 20 seconds. And we sit there, like it's adults and kids there. I think that's amazing. And you wonder, how do they do that? How do they do that? Now, I know that they're not magic. I know that there's some trick that they're playing, but they're really clever. And there's something about that wonder How did they do that? And so I believe what's happened to our world is the world's become cynical. And when you're cynical, you want to people, and you'll hear people say this. I have discussions with people about Jesus and about the Bible, and they they come from this cynical view that says, I have to see it to believe it. I won't believe anything unless I can see absolute proof. That's the cynical attitude. And I, I honestly believe that cynical attitude has invaded the world and, um, and to some extent invaded the church because you see that there's like a bit of a, a hopelessness comes into people, like what's the point of meeting together? What's the point of serving? What's the point of this or this or this? And there's a cynicism that comes from, I just want to see something first. But I believe that God wants to spin it round to that sense of wonder because when you're cynical, you've lost the sense of wonder 
that God is bigger, that there, someone could be able to do something that you don't get, that you, you actually can't do. And when you sit um, watching someone do a trick like that and you think, that's, that's amazing, uh, that's, that's more than I could do. I couldn't get up on the stage and do that. There's something a bit bigger. And I believe God wants to restore to us something bigger because, you see, Jesus said unless you come like a child, you won't inherit the kingdom. You've got to come with that sense of wonder that God is bigger than us and he's able to do extraordinary things and all we're required to do is believe. In fact, Jesus never said seeing is believing. He said you are blessed to believe first and particularly he says those who haven't seen me and will believe, that's us today, you're going to see extraordinary things. It says in Hebrews 6 that it's impossible to please God without faith. In other words, without believing in him, believing that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, that he has something bigger than you could imagine, that you won't you won't see God, you won't please God. So you won't please God unless you believe. We try to please God with doing so many different things and all he wants us to do is have a sense of wonder about him. And I believe that the church around the world in, in a lot of areas has lost that sense of wonder. We're trying to grab control of things in so many ways and the result of that is polarisation because we're getting into different groups around the world about a whole lot of different things, different political views and whatever views it might be, and camping in those little groups. It says in Galatians 5 when it talks about one of the results of not following the spirit of following the flesh, it's called dissension and in the Amplified Version it calls, it's called party spirit. And party spirit is where you get together with your little group of people and um, you think you're right and everyone else is wrong. And that comes from when people lose a sense of wonder of how God is because you think, I am right, I'm right and everyone else is wrong. And we gravitate towards those little groups. And I believe at the moment in our church and in other churches, what I'm learning to do is to lead from the middle, to understand. I was hearing um, Malcolm Turnbull actually on Q&A recently and he was saying that what's happened in countries around the world is that the people are polarised, and I've talked about this with some of our team as well, and when people are polarised, they set up a camp either on this hill or this hill and they fire shots at people from each side. And when we feel like we're in control and we've got it all worked out and we can see it all really, really clearly, we lose our sense of wonder. And rather than looking up to God and just standing in awe of who he is, we start to fire shots at the other camps when we've lost our sense of wonder. And I believe God wants us to restore, have our sense of wonder restored. And it will take humility and repentance to do that, to realise that none of us have it all worked out. None of us have it all together, but he is restoring to us a sense of wonder that he is able to do far more than we can ask for or imagine. He is the one, as it says in Romans 4, who brings something out of nothing. He's the only one who can do that. And he's returning us to that sense of wonder. The second thing I believe that he's returning us to is compassion. Because when you lose your sense of wonder and when you get into party spirits, you um, disengage from other people. And God wants to restore to us a sense of compassion. I've been um, reading about compassion by an author called Henry Nguyen. And he says, Compassion requires the inner disposition to go with others to where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely and broken. What we desire is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure. You see, when you lose your sense of wonder and when you, you tend to become legalistic and you tend to want to solve the world's problems with a quick cure, and we have all, I believe, our 
particularly the Western world, has fallen into that. The media has quick cures. Christians have quick cures. Everyone has quick cures. And and I believe that God is saying he wants to to give us that sense of compassion, which is the opposite to judgment. Because with judgment, a distance is created. If I'm judging you, I'm really looking at you from afar and saying this is what I would do if you're in, I was in your situation, but I'm not sitting close enough to feel what it's actually like. And I think they're the two things that God wants to restore. Let me um, give you a vulnerable example. So one day last year I was having a very, very difficult day. I was actually having a very, very difficult life most of half of last year. And on one particular day I was having a very, very difficult day and there was a lot of things happening, some things happening here which were affecting me greatly and some people saying things that were unkind and it was affecting me greatly. And then Graham got really sick and he's going through chemo. He's coming out of it amazingly well, so there's a good end to this story. But I was taking him to work one day before the chemo started and he was really sick and I honestly felt overwhelmed with it all, just totally overwhelmed. So I was driving home and uh, sorrow hit me like a ton of bricks and I drove through an orange light. Now, I didn't drive through the red light. I drove through the orange light, but um, I could have stopped. So that's what I did wrong. But to be honest, I was so sad. I actually wasn't even sure if I drove through the orange light or not. And um, I saw police lights behind me. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> Can this day get any worse than this? And I just got my new licence and I got it for half price because I had a perfect driving record. And I'm like... Oh, no. So anyway, pull over. I saw him walking towards me. I thought, I can't even think what to say to him. I think I drove through an orange light. I'm not even sure. And he came up and he said, hello, driver. And I looked at him and he said, you just drove through an orange light. And I said, did I? He said, why did you do that? And I looked at him and I burst into sobs. (laughs) I couldn't stop crying. And like, I'm thinking, don't do this. You'll look like you're manipulating the policeman now. Please don't do this. I'm trying. Stop crying. Stop crying. Stop crying. Anyway, he felt sad for me, <laughs> and I got off with a warning. And uh, when I went home, I sat there. I thought I cried to a policeman. <laughs> I can't believe I did this. I cried to a policeman. So I was telling a couple of friends of mine that story, and I laughed. I said, I can't believe. And the look on his face, I cried to the policeman. I can't believe I did that. Anyway, I left these couple of friends, and. About half an hour later, one of them sent me a message and she said, never do that alone again. Now that was transformational for me. Never do that alone again. You will not be that down by yourself. Now what she did with that, that was this was an act of compassion. So rather than saying, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Sue. On a day like that, you've got to start praising God. She said, never do that alone again. This is what it said to me. She said, you just text me next time and I'll start praying. Do not hit that rock bottom. The reason she can do that really well is because she's gone through some really tough times herself alone. So she knows what it feels like. And so I realised, I saw the heart of someone, of a faithful follower of Jesus who said, I will be ready to pray for you whenever you hit a rock bottom like that. And she has, she has regularly every week since then has prayed for me or got together with me and said, we're not going to allow you to hit a rock bottom like that and sat, as I call it, sat in the dirt. And what happens when people do that, when they learn to feel with you, 
rather than just to impart knowledge to you because God is calling us to lead people with grace and truth. And the truth is clear in the Word of God and we're leading everyone to that, but we lead it like Jesus did through grace. And what I've noticed is that as churches um, grow, we can become religious rather than have the heart of Jesus for people. What that did for me, actually, that text, is that there's been several people since then who've told me something they're going through and I've said to them, never do that alone. Tell me and I'm going to be praying for them. They said, but you're busy. I said, not too busy to pray for you. Send me a text. I will pray for you. Because what I believe God is calling us to do is to be people who will sit in the dust and the dirt of life with people and bring the heart of Jesus to people. And that we have become religious. I'm not pointing the finger at any particular person here. I'm just talking about what I'm seeing that's happening in the Western church, that we have tended to become religious and we think that we've got to have the answer to every situation. And Jesus shows us a way that is so, so different and I believe he's calling us to come back to who he actually called us to be. So compassion requires the inner disposition to go with others to where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely and broken. What we desire is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or finding a quick cure and God is not calling us to do that. So I was reading this book by Henry Nguyen What happened was our family went away on a week's holiday because we had one who wasn't feeling well and one who's pregnant and one who's little. We just wanted a house with a pool so that we could swim, read books, play board games and sleep. That's what we did and we ate as well and it was all fun. So Josh, our son, and Ever, our daughter-in-law, had this book by Henry Nguyen called The Way of the Heart, and it's, they were reading it in the mornings, and it was lying on the dining table, and then I picked it up. It's just one of those little books. If you've ever read The Practice of the Presence of God, you know, like they have about 60 or 80 pages, and every page, every, every word is so power-packed. You've got to keep reading it over and over again because these are people who have really encountered Jesus. And I picked it up and started reading it, and then Graham picked it up and started reading it, and then we're all trying to read it. So in the end, I went under Kindle and bought my own copy because we couldn't share it enough. And I'm sitting at the pool chatting to Josh, reading this. And I said, church has really lost its way in the West, hasn't it? Not totally, you know, but there's aspects of it. As I read about his compassion and his love to bring the heart of Jesus to people, that we have to change. We have to have a fresh infilling of the Spirit of God the spirit of power and grace and love and mercy. And because what he's talking about in this book is um, the group of people in Egypt in the 4th century called the Desert Fathers and Mothers. And what happened in the 4th century was the, the Emperor Constantine had become a Christian and so for the first 300 years of Christianity, persecution was huge and the church was growing at a rapid rate during persecution. And then the Emperor Constantine became a Christian and he made Christian, Christianity the dominant religion and then it started to become a religion and things started to change rather than it being this dynamic relationship with Jesus with an incredible love for him and a love for people. In many ways it became religious. And so this group of people from Egypt recognised that the church was losing its passion. So they would take themselves into the desert to be just them and God so that they could strip away anything. Because what happens when, when everything is okay is that we just become a bit lazy We lose our passion to see people actually know Jesus. And I think the church generally has lost its passion for wanting to see people know Jesus because the church has forgotten why people need to know Jesus. And so they went out into the desert 
And uh, one of the stories he tells of a, a guy called Anthony, he went out to the desert and it was hard. He had to go out there and die to himself. And it says this is what happened. The shell of his superficial securities was cracked. But he came out of this trial victoriously, not because of his own willpower or ascetic exploits, but because of his unconditional surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When he emerged from his solitude, people recognised in him the qualities of an authentic, healthy man, whole in body, mind and soul, and they flocked to him for healing, comfort and direction. He was a healthy man and they flocked to him for healing, comfort and direction. Consider someone you know that you would flock to for healing, comfort and direction. What is the person that you would flock to that when you're going through a bad day you think that's the person I'm going to call? There'll be no judgment but there will be grace and truth and power and I will feel safe and I will feel secure. And to be honest, last year I discovered some aspects of our church through some of the things we went through where I felt like it's not safe. It's not safe to be broken because I, for the first time in my life, felt marginalised. That really hurt. And I thought this must be a safe place. It must be a safe place where people can feel like they can come as they are and be loved and healed and restored. That's the place that we want it to be. That's what God is calling us to be. And so... When I look at him, when I hear that he was healed, healed, he was healthy man, that people flock to him, that's the place we want to be. We want to be a place that people flock here to be healed and restored and set free and find abundance of life. So how did he become like that? He became like that through encountering Jesus. And Jesus lived exactly like that. People flocked to him as well. No one made them go. They just you couldn't hold them back. And he's Jesus has asked us to be like him in this world. That's what he's called us to be, like exactly like him, his followers, so that people would flock to us to be healed, to be restored, what was the other word, to be comforted, to find direction. They're, we're the people, and to do that, we are going to have to do what Anthony did and what I'm about to show you that Jesus did, some significant dying to ourselves so that the life of Christ would emerge in us. Because what we tend to have, the self that, and to die to self, I just want to explain what this actually means. It's going to fit right into our vision for this year. To die to self, you see, we all have this false self that we create. From the time you're little, you try to work out what self you want to be. And that self has, gives you, an, you there's, it comes from that, an inner compulsion to be someone and when we, we hit downers, it's because we're not that self. We're driven by it in so, so, so many ways. So the self that you live by without Jesus is a, is a fake self. Jesus was so passionate about us discovering who we really are in him. It says that in Colossians 3, when you come to know him, you died and your real life is hidden in Christ. The old you has died. And what is that old you? That old you is something you've been working on since as far back as you can remember to try to create this self so that people like you. Actually, one of the illusionists on Friday night, they, each one of them told a little bit about their childhood. And um, one of them, they, they had a photo of uh, something he'd filled out when he was seven in primary school. And the question was, what do I want to be when I grow up and why do I want to be it? And you'd see his little handwriting on this. And it was, um, I want to be a rapper. Why do I want to be that? I want people to like me. That's the reason that many of us do things, you know, because we just want people to like us. And there's nothing wrong in wanting people to like you. But what people like is Jesus in you. That's what they love, actually, 
is Jesus in you because this old sense of self that we keep building up, um, you, you can't keep the act going all the time and it's exhausting. Some of the reasons like we just like to retreat and be by ourselves is actually exhausting. But the good news is this, that you can die to that. And so what Jesus did at the beginning of his ministry, when, and which led into the time when people were flocking to him, was that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And perhaps what we've been through and still going through with all this pandemic and everything else that's happening is God leading us into a wilderness And I want to show you the three things that happened in the wilderness to Jesus which need to happen, which are happening, and if we open up our eyes to see to all of us, about the three compulsions of creating your fake self, the three compulsions that every human being has. Because when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, three things happened. The enemy tempted him, the devil tempted him. to um, He was hungry to turn stones into bread to throw himself off a cliff and um, say, you know, the angels will rescue you and to worship Satan and he would give him great power. And in each case, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, so prove your identity to me by doing this. Prove your identity to me by doing this. If you are the son of God, throwing into question who you actually are. And that's what the enemy wants to do to you and me all the time, to throw into question the identity of God and your own identity. And what Jesus did, he had this sense of wonder. It may not sound like a sense of wonder in the desert, but a sense of wonder that God was able to do something bigger than him in the middle of all of that. And so there's these three compulsions. The first one is to be relevant. Now, you might find that's really strange. I found this really strange. Josh and I had a big chat about this and read further what Henry Newman was explaining in his book about this. And relevant is like this. It doesn't mean that, you know, we don't preach sermons that are relevant. It means that I feel like I've got to have the answers for you all the time. So you come to me with a relationship problem and I say, do X, Y and Z. And you go off and you do X, Y and Z and you come back and say, I did everything you said and it worked. You are amazing. Sometimes we just want to have the answers to everything. We find it really hard to hold back and just be, just be. And to actually believe that if we don't actually have all the answers, that the Holy Spirit is bigger than us and he could actually do something bigger than we could do. You know, when I was coming through grief after Sam passed away, the first day that he, the day that he died, I went to bed that night and my sister sat beside me and patted my back. No words. And the next day she came and we just opened up our Bibles and we just sat there to show grace and truth. But she didn't go through the Bible and point out, I think God is saying this. We just read till something stood out. She showed grace and truth. But the reason I wanted to sit with her with the truth was because of the, the grace. Whereas other people would come and say, well, don't worry, he's in heaven. That's trying to be relevant. I know he's in heaven, but I wasn't with me. You see, sometimes you don't sit long enough with people to understand. And that's actually opened the doors for the the healing to come into my heart when we sit with grace first and allow the Holy Spirit to speak himself to us. The word of God was there and we sat together with the word of God, but she came with grace first. And we meet people who are going through all sorts of relationship issues and financial issues and self-awareness issues and all the rest of it, just life trouble. We don't always have the answer. The Holy Spirit does have the answer. And God is calling us to take time just to be with people, to understand what they're going through. 
The second one is to be spectacular. You know, like I said, that, that guy said, I want to be a rapper because I want, to like, I want people to like me. And that's a compulsion that we all have is to do something that everybody notices, to be the best at something or to stand out in some way, to discover something. There's this desire to be spectacular. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be in the circus and you're that sort of spectacular. could just be a spectacularly nice person. You just want everyone to say, you're really nice. It can be any sort of spectacular. And it's great to be good at something, but if you're relying on that for people to like you, you're creating this false self. And the third one is to be powerful. And that comes across in so many ways. We want to control people. We want to control situations. We want to look like we know everything. And all those things can drive us as we create this false self. And yet Jesus is calling us to die to that and to allow his, his life to come into us, to be recreated by him. And when we watch him, he was so not worried about what others thought about him when he went into the world. We read in John 4 the story of a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And there's a whole group of people with stones and they're saying to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, she should be stoned. And so they're ready to throw the book of the law at her. And sometimes we're like that as well. We want to throw the book of the law. And she's down the dust. So if you picture this, you've got this circle of people, probably men, with stones, and you've got a woman broken down in the dust. And has she done the wrong thing? Yes, she has. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that there's a woman broken down the dust. You don't know how she ended up in the situation that she ended up in, particularly if you're standing back here with a rock. You've got no idea. And Jesus says this. So they're, talk, they're, they're questioning him. It says they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. The thing is, if you become like Jesus, people won't like you. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. I've heard a lot of people trying to work at, you know, talking about what, what was he actually writing on the ground. Well, I don't know what he wrote on the ground. You know what? He could have just been down there biding time to be annoying in a way, just to say, I'm not going anywhere. But if you just picture the levels here, what happened was that you've got the people with the stones standing up and you've got her sitting down and he chose to sit down and align himself with her. And by doing that, he runs the risk of being stoned himself. He runs the risk of being called someone who approves of sin. He runs the risk of being rejected. He runs all those risks and he takes the risk because he says greater love has no man than to lay down his life for someone. That's what he's doing even there, laying down his life for someone. And God, Jesus is asking us to do the same thing, to be people who will sit in the dust with people. And then after we've sat in the dust and after we feel their pain and after we feel their sorrow and after they know that they are safe with us, he says to her, now go and sin no more. And sometimes we just look at that little bit at the end. But he took a lot of risks in sitting down in the dust with her for his own self-image, which he wasn't worried about one little bit. And so this is what I believe that we are being called to do, to hear the call to let our false compulsive self be transformed into the new self of Jesus Christ. And avoid the danger of living the whole of our life as one long defence against the reality of our condition. And that's what a lot of people do, us included. Live the whole of our life as one long defence against the reality of condition, our condition. Always proving why we're right, why everyone else is wrong, why we need this, why we don't need this, why other people need this, why they don't need this. And God is saying get rid of that 
die to yourself. And therefore, we're going to call our theme for this year, I gave my life away and now I live. It says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In the King James Version, it says it like this. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. There's only two versions that actually say it like this and I really like it because it spills something amazing out. There's sort of a, a divine sort of irony in this. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. So I died but I'm alive. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is what it's saying. I gave my life. Now you, God will not take your life from you. So part of being a follower of Jesus, the beginning of it is to say, here's my life, I give it to you. And sometimes we just think of that as the, as the sort of the heavy side of it, like I've got to take up my cross and deny myself and follow me. And there is that aspect of it, that we are called like Jesus is to love others and sometimes it will hurt. But there's another aspect of it as well. I gave my life away and now there's so many things I don't have to worry about anymore because I've given them into his hands. As I've gone through some of the things that I went through last year, I just felt God saying, honestly, don't worry, you gave your life away to me. It's not your problem anymore. It's mine. Let me solve it. What a relief. What a relief to give your life away. Honestly, who wants to run your whole life? I don't want to run mine and or yours for that matter. And you don't want to run yours. What an amazing thing that we should make us praise God with all our hearts that we give our lives to him and now he solves things for us. He leads us. He speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. He fills us with power. He enables us to be like him. He fills us with his very being. We give our lives away to live by faith or by wonder in him. He restores to us the wonder of who he is and we look back and we say, my goodness, God has transformed me. This is a whole new me coming out and it's a nice me. I don't have to try really hard. It's a powerful me, but I'm weak. It's a gracious me. That's the me that God is drawing out of, of each one of us. It's the most wonderful thing. And while we get caught up in um, party dissensions, we miss the wonder of who he actually is and who he's transforming us to be. In Isaiah 58, there was a combined prayer meeting at the cathedral recently and which I was meant to be part of, but I couldn't because um, my daughter got sick and so I had to look after her and then I ran in just for the beginning of it and they were reading this and I felt like God was speaking to us from Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, when you have that compassion of Jesus for people, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people, that's you, 
will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. So I believe we're meant to be repairers of broken walls and restorers streets with dwellings. And we're only going to do that when we give our lives away. And that theme for the year, I gave my life away and now I live. We had several discussions over the tense of the word. Should it be I give my life away so that we remind ourselves that every day or I gave my life away? And we concluded that it's I gave because it's done and dusted. I gave it away. It's not mine anymore. And I allow Christ to live in me. And so the reason I, I, that is so important is that what we've got to grasp is that it's not about trying harder. If you look at yourself this year and you think, I need to be more full of forgiveness and you try harder, you won't get there. If you say, I need to be more full of forgiveness, maybe I need to die to something so that the life of Christ can just emanate out of me easily. Because otherwise we, we tend to just become religious and work really, really hard to do the right things rather than just humbly coming before him on our knees and saying, fill me afresh with you. When we say fill me afresh with your spirit, we're saying fill me afresh with you. I just want to be like you. And it flows out of you as we die to ourselves. So the focus is on us and Jesus so that he might flow out of us. And Henry Nguyen writes this, only in the context of grace can we face our own sin. Only when you sit and you look and wonder at the God who would give his life for you can you have the courage to look at your own sin and be confronted with it. Only in the place of healing do we dare to show our wounds. Only with a single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our clinging fears and face our true nature. And it's only people who have got so close to the presence of Jesus where we've faced our own sin, where we've showed him our wounds and released our fears that people will come to you and be real about their sin, be honest about their wounds and tell you their fears. Only when you are abundantly aware of your own. Because when you're abundantly aware of your own, you sit with someone and you have compassion. But when you're not abundantly aware of your own, you just have the answers. And God's calling us to be so aware of our weakness, our brokenness, our vulnerability, and his grace to restore us. That while we were sinners, he loved us and gave his life for us before we even cared about him. As we come to realize that it's not we who live, but Christ who lives in us, that he is our true self. We can slowly let our compulsions melt away and begin to experience the freedom of the children of God. And then we can look back with a smile and realize that we aren't even angry or greedy anymore. He changed us. And so that's what we're going to do this year. We're going to keep, I was going to call the theme of the year, I died. But some people said that doesn't sound very positive, but it actually is. Just to, actually that old me, it's died. Praise God it's dead and that I have Jesus living in me. But we're not going to call it that. You can call it that secretly if you want to. It's helpful to me, helpful to me in my daily life just to say, remember, you died. It's very straightforward. But anyway, slightly fancier than that. I gave my life away and now I live. And, uh, and what you're going to have on, on your little table in front of you, which is why you're sitting around little tables, and we've created different types of little tables because we have lots of different types of people. And um, some people like tables and some people don't, and that's fair enough. A bit of community is good. And what you've got, and the there's 10 types of cards. Now, this is going to be like a, a magic trick, pick a card, any card. You're not allowed to sort through and choose the one that you get. So these 10 cards are based on our 10 core values of our church. 
And what we've done is take the theme for the year, I gave my life away, and this one says, I gave my life away and now I extend grace. Whatever card you take is your challenge for the next three months. Not one that you say, okay, that's a nice little sentiment, now I extend grace. But to say to God, okay, God, I'm allowing you to challenge me on this so that I would die. And whenever you find yourself struggling with extending grace, this is what we tend to do. I'm struggling with extending grace. And I ask myself, why am I struggling with extending grace? And it's because that person is so annoying. That's why I'm struggling with extending grace. You see, it's their fault. It's their fault that I'm struggling with extending grace. Spin it around. I'm struggling with extending grace because there's still a lot of me living in here. And I'm going to die to myself and allow the life of Christ to fill me. You see the difference? You've got to die to allow Jesus to live through you. Become more aware of your own sin than the sin of those around you. If I'm struggling with extending grace and I say it's the point, it's the fault of the person, I'm more aware of their sin than mine because I'm not acknowledging the fact that there's an arrogance in me that doesn't want to extend grace and Jesus gave his life for me. So we're going to die. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to take one card, pick a card, any card. The reason we said that is because you might flick through and you choose the one that just comes naturally to you anyway. And so you've got to choose anyone and you've got to hang on to it. But you notice on the back there's just a little bit of space and um, there's some pencils there. You might like to write, to write down something God spoke to you this morning, just anything. But then to tell someone that you're sitting with what you think about the card you got. You can say anything about the card. Tell, tell them what card you got and what you think God wants to do through you for the next three months and in three months time you get another card and uh, if you think oh some people missed out well, connect group pastors will have them as well okay so you have two minutes to talk to a friend about your card 